all the stakes all the time. Never fall in love with your mark. Transitioning from survivor to thriver. Drama. Welcome to Literary Connections. We're friends who started a podcast because we live on opposite sides of the world and we're using books to stay connected. I'm Melissa Hansen, the girl that I've always been. And I'm James Earl, still not knowing what I would do if I got caught in a bank robbery in Milan. I mean, I think that you would crush it, at least in Milan. In the U.S., I don't know how you would do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it's different. Right. Yeah, yeah, I could just be like, but, I don't belong uh, here. I'm really excited. <laughs> I just I to discuss it more um, this month as we discuss what we just read, which is The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp. Traditional spoiler alert reminder, we don't believe in spoilers. If you continue listening to this, you're going to know the entire plot of the book. So stop now if you want to go read it and then come back once you've read it. And this is one where you may want to read it before because there's a lot to spoil. Yes, twists and turns. Actually, I don't know if I believe this. Like, she gets caught in a bank robbery. It's a dangerous situation. But she's a first-person narrator, so, like, we know she's going to get out of it. Oh, yeah. It's not like when you read the last Divergent book and you're like, wait, we've had a first-person narrator for three of these books, and all of a sudden in the last one, there's another narrator? She's definitely going to die. Yeah. It's not like that. Right. So I think, like, even though it's really intense... You always know that at least the protagonist is not in any danger. I guess you don't know the fate of Iris or Wes or Lee, but you do know that at least she'll make it through. It's very like Marvel movie stakes. Like the heroes, the main hero is going to survive. Yeah. Sorry, this is an edit. Um, After we record this episode, I realized that I do believe in not having spoilers for exactly one instance, and that is Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You should absolutely not listen to this episode if you have not seen Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Please do not listen. Go watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. until you get to episode 201, and then you can come (laughs) back and listen to this podcast episode. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Okay. So it's a wild ride. It is, as our producer once called it, the most exciting book I've ever read. And I think that might be true because the very first page, you get a bank robbery and then you get a series of flashbacks. And the flashbacks are she's a con woman with her mother and they're running cons. And so even the like backstory breaks in the main action of the bank robbery are insanely intense. Yeah, it's super intense. I think we can give like a summary of some of the highlights of the intensity. Yes. Just so y'all understand where we're coming from. All right, so we'll put one minute on the clock. Let's see if you can explain it in a minute. Great. And go. Okay, so there's this girl, Nora. She just did a fundraiser. She's with her old boyfriend, Wes, who she just broke up with, who just walked in on her making out with her new girlfriend, Iris drama so she's already in like a super crazy situation and then at the bank two guys come in to rob the bank Uh uh-oh what's gonna happen and then through a series of flashbacks you find out that nora actually has been a con woman with her mother for most of her life conning all these dangerous and evil men and so she actually has uh, an ability to con these guys um, in order to like help them get out of the situation. And so stakes are high. There's a love triangle, lots of feelings, um, but everyone gets out safe, including her and her um, ex-boyfriend and her um, new girlfriend. And then there's also a subplot with her sister who she's staying with, who also used to be doing cons with her mother. 
Um, and all that. It also her ex stepdad is trying to kill her from jail. <laughs> yeah. So like lots, lots, lots is happening. That was a great summary. It's all the highlights. If I if I were to give it a go myself, I think I would just say the names of the bank robbers are Red Cap and Gray Cap. Gray Cap is Dwayne. Is yeah. It like Dwayne, it's like Dwayne Reed. Yeah. <laughs> not like like not like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. No. Dwayne is the older one. Red Cap is the younger one. Dwayne is in charge. Oh, yeah. And her sister's name is Lee. Her mom's name is Abby. And her ex-stepdad, who wants to kill her, is named Raymond. So those are all the main characters. Okay. I'm going to start off saying something controversial. Go for it. I think this book didn't need a love triangle. It really hurts me to say it. <laughs> because I think most things can be improved with a love triangle. Yeah. And this entire time I was reading the book, I'm like, this does not need a love triangle. This is... <laughs> This is a distraction. Like, she had to have emotional goodbyes with two different characters. And I was like, I only need one emotional goodbye. Yeah. The stakes here don't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think this book just went full on all the stakes all the time. And that's that's actually one of the things I really liked about it. It was so, so intense. I mean, obviously, in some ways, unrealistic or unrelatable because the world of organized crime and cons and bank robberies and things like that are just not experiences that anybody's ever had. Speak for yourself. <laughs> but the love triangles, I don't know, like it needs to be relatable in some places. I really like that it went all the stakes all the time because I think that's where it gets, where it's cathartic. It was just full on drama. It was somebody more competent than the reader, at least when I'm the reader. And so you get this like level of competency porn in the in the the main character in Nora. I don't know what to call her. I'm going to call her Nora for the whole time because she's got lots of names. She's been many girls. She's been many girls, and also she at the end really chooses the name Nora in the same way that her, her sister chooses the name Lee. So I think at the end she talks about like how her original name Natalie Devereaux mm -hmm. Devereaux something French used to be her touchstone, and now she's like I get to choose which girl I want to be. And she chooses Nora. Yeah. And she chooses her friends and she chooses her found family, which is always like a really good thing to see. Yes. I think that identifying the found family trope is is huge. I think that that's a, a, a major part of the whole book is her choosing the girls that she's going to be in the future and choosing who she's going to consider family, choosing her tribe. Mm -hmm. Here are my thoughts on this love triangle. Because okay. I just, I need to start off with love triangles because yeah. that's just how I, how I process things. Yeah. yeah. It always starts there. <laughs> And then we can go through like all of the things and like how this is like talking about abuse and things like that and like intergenerational yeah, yeah. trauma. But love triangles, first and foremost. I didn't really understand why she and Wes broke up. It was basically because she lied to him and was blackmailing his father. Mm -hmm. But then they decided to become Frank and friends. It just didn't seem like there was like love lost because she betrayed him. But if she betrayed him, why would he want to be friends with her? Like, I think that just was really confusing to me of, like, why they broke up. And then I think what was interesting is, like, I feel like they each had, like, a different part of her, but, like, they still were, like, a trio, where then, like, Wes was basically not in any of the book. Wes, like, had this, like, backstory that was used to, like, expose her truth a little bit earlier and to, like, add to the stakes of, like, Iris's story, but Wes was just kind of incompetent and in staying in a room while Iris was like building bombs 
and like setting petticoats on fire. And so she was obviously in doing so showing herself to be a match with the ingenuity that Nora has. I just, I just feel like you could have just made them both one person or you could have just cut Wes completely. Is it possible Mm -hmm. that you need Wes in this so that there is one single example of a man who is not an abuser in the entire book? That is honestly why I think he's in the book, but I think he doesn't have enough action or plot to make it worth it. He's like basically barely a character. Like his character is, I am an abused rich boy. Like I've seen more plot from like Logan Eccles on Veronica Mars on plot, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Wes is bringing nothing new to the table on that. All right, second, second uh, attempt at this. Is it possible yes. that Wes is in the book? Yes. Because we need an example of uh, Nora being capable of love with somebody who is not her sister, who is not Lee, and is not a romantic interest. I guess he is a romantic interest. But, like, her being able to, like, choose... Because if, if the found family is a thing, I don't know why they break up. You're right. There, there's something a little superficial about it it seems that reason and then they they stay friends but i was sort of understanding their relationship in terms of like brother sister where Mm -hmm. he can be upset at her but like they're still gonna live together and they're still gonna like take care of each other in those kinds of ways and like be in the same house in the same way that you fight with your brother Mm -hmm. like that's how i was understanding their relationship and so that's how i could justify them still living in the same house and still being close but not dating anymore i wish that he had just been a friend Right. If it was just like a, a person that she met at school and became friends with, yeah, I guess they didn't need to be former lovers or whatever. I feel like the former lovers thing was just to raise the stakes, but then it caused basically no drama because Iris like immediately was like, oh, okay. Like, I like, thank you for this information. And now I'm going to build a mom. And I know that you guys don't have feelings for each other. Yeah. It wasn't like really a love triangle. Part of me thought it was going to go for like a like polyamorous trio sort of situation. Yeah. But then that didn't happen either. So uh, either you're all dating or only two of you are dating. That's my perspective on how this plot should have gone. <laughs> yeah. But th- this plot, if it could if it could raise the stakes and have it not just be a friend, but somebody who had more physical benefits, then it's going to go that route. Yeah. That's just the way this book goes. Right. I think there's something interesting you're saying about, like, he's the only example of, like, a not shitty guy. Yeah. Because I reflected on that because she talks a lot about, like, bad men and how Wes is the only guy she's never needed to be protected from. I don't know. There's something that's, like, really sad to me about the fact that you can only trust a man who's been hurt by another man. Like, do we need to experience trauma in order to have empathy as humans? Right. So I, I think Wes plays an important role there. But point taken, he doesn't need to be a boyfriend. It does feel to me to a certain extent like Wes was added as an afterthought. Like what this was is like to a certain extent, both Nora and her sister end up in gay relationships, partially because of their childhood of physical violence and molestation by the men that their mother was courting. It felt to me like it started that way, but then they're like, oh, I don't want people to think that people are lesbians because of trauma. And so we're going to show that, like, she's able to, like, want to do sexy things with boys, too. But then she was able to do sexy things with boys without having any feelings of trauma associated with that. And that, to me, also felt, like, not realistic. Like, I would have rathered her, like, go through those feelings of, like, holy shit, like, can I be intimate with someone 
of a gender that I've never trusted before. We never saw those stages of her and Wes having to struggle through that. Yeah. I mean, we did see some uh, some of the early intimacy of just her discovering his scars and things like this. And so if you take it from that angle, they don't address the intimacy part directly, but they do sort of show a process of them like understanding each other and feeling safe with each other. I want to be clear. People are not lesbians because of trauma. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think the book wants us to know that as right, well. Right. And I think the logic of the book, like the men that have been in her life are self-selected because they're bad people. Mm-hmm. Like the mother has chosen to bring them into her, their lives because they're bad people. And so the logic of the book necessitates that all the men in it are crappy. But like all of the men are crappy. It's like really weird. Obviously like all the ones that they were conning. But then you find out like Iris's ex-boyfriend did it without a condom and got her pregnant. And then her dad was like going to fuck her up for getting an abortion. Yeah. Like, everyone has a shitty father and shitty boyfriends. It's, like, almost a little bit too on the nose of, like, the men are trash. I feel like there was a little bit of it, and I say this with kindness because I say this all the time, of, like, the men are trash internet phenomenon of, like, real men can handle women's periods. Real men know what endometriosis is. A lot of these things of we were just experiencing men who are all bad examples of men. I don't think we saw enough examples of Wes being a good man versus a good stand-in for like a generic personality and a shape of a man. Right. He's more defined by the fact that he was a victim of his father than as an example of anything other than that, really. He's just an example of another victim of a bad father in a different shape. So let's pivot to talking about how this is good competency porn. Yes, I love when people are competent. Yeah, and uh, it had like some Ender's Game kind of energy where it's like this person empathizes with the people so well that she's able to manipulate them and like figure out what they want out of a situation and then figure it out. And that's very similar to the Ender's Game thing. But obviously, this is way more gay friendly than Ender's Game. Confession, I've never read Ender's Game. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Okay, I won't tell anybody. You'll just have to trust me then. I definitely trust you. I always trust you. This had that kind of energy. But that kind of competency porn of just like somebody who you could trust to understand a situation as your narrator and then lead you through it. It's interesting that she's like, basically she confesses in the first chapter that she's a con woman and is capable of telling great lies. And yet... I never really understood her to be an unreliable narrator. Mm. Like usually when a narrator tells me that they lie about things on the first page, that's like a key for me to be like, I'm getting conned. But I didn't feel that way. And also I didn't get conned. That is weird. It could have entrapped me and it didn't. It didn't. It was actually a very straightforward narrative. I didn't realize that. Well, I think she did say something at one point, like I've never been good at conning myself. And so maybe that's like what it's supposed to be referencing. But yeah, it's it's weird that she always told us, the reader, the truth as far as we could tell. Yeah, maybe that's because she's Nora now. Yeah. Yeah. So even though much of Nora's experience is completely unrelatable to me, like I've never taken down an organized crime family or been a, a con person or, you know, been abused by a bad man or been in a bisexual love triangle, like n- none of these things. Uh, are my experiences 
However, <laughs> I did find some things really relatable. Like even just the concept of the girls I've been and this idea that like you go through all these different iterations. Like I've I've taught at, I don't know, three or four different schools at this point, And I feel like I was a different person in each of them. And then there's like one's college self, one's high school self. And that you're always in the same way that she is ashamed of those past selves. Like you're always a little bit embarrassed by them. That whole concept I found really relatable. And I think that's why it was a pretty effective YA book. Because even if the stakes are weight raised and you're in these super dramatic situations in this one, there's something cathartic about seeing somebody struggle with that idea and I know that in this book it was linked specifically to trauma and like trying to get rid of the trauma. And that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But like there is something really cathartic about watching somebody struggle with those things and then choosing, okay, well, I'm going to be more intentional about the people I become in the future. I'm going to choose this name. I'm going to choose this family. And also like the act of choosing. I think she talks about like when she briefly didn't have an identity because they were running from the guy that molested her before they had encountered Raymond. She's like, mom, you need to tell me who I am. Like, I don't know how to be not the person that you tell me. And so much of the girls she has been, and I think this happens a lot when you're growing up, like who you are is actually who you choose to be for other people. That's the secret to manipulation their mom t tells her, like every bully needs someone to bully. Like you can handle that, right? And so finding yourself in other people's needs versus finding out what you need and then asking for it. Yeah, and the idea of like moving past your past selves, it's true in this book in two levels that we've been talking around here. One is the people that others create in you, like teachers saying that you're lazy or good at math or whatever, and then you become that person. But then there's also this like internal pressure decisions that you actually make, and she struggles with both these things. She's struggling to overcome the monster that's been created in her by other people, and then she's also trying to overcome the decisions she actually made within those situations and be more intentional in the future. The girls she's been is, are each a combination of her genuine and authentic choices and also the external coercive manipulations of people to her and her recognizing that and then choosing the company that she keeps because like Lee and Wes, Iris, she trusts them to help her become somebody different. And so she's like choosing the people that are going to influence her as well as thinking intentionally about how she's going to behave in future situations by the end. I feel like there's also this interesting thing that is not in the book's text, but as I've been rewatching Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, recently, the question of forgiveness and the main thesis of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is you can save anyone if you get to them soon enough. But there are cases of people who like do terrible things, even though they have like terrible trauma. And I think the book presents us with multiple examples of this, of like her mother clearly was part of the con with her own mother. And she had the same childhood that both Lee and Nora had, which is why she like pushed it on to like the next generation. Because of the trauma that Nora experienced, she either killed a man or was part of the killing of a man and shot another man and cut off his fingers. There's an element of that where 
Lee's ex-girlfriend who she originally conned because she wanted a way to get her sister out of a bad situation and then fell in love with her. Never fall in love with your Mark is another thing we learned <laughs> from both Lee and, and her the mother. mother. Yeah. It says like, she's not normal. Like this kind of shit is like not normal. And I feel like we actually like, never really address that, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me. Like Iris and Wes like do not bat an eye at this. And maybe it's because she's not as transparent, but like, I feel like I have like a lot of empathy for people who've gone through trauma. And I think that if I was dating someone and she was like, oh yeah, I killed a man and then I shot another man and cut off his fingers. Even if they had like abused them, I think I would have a really hard time with that. Yeah. And is that like a failure of my own empathy or is that like a case of at a certain point, society has made you into a monster. At what point does Nora become her mother where it is unsalvageable and she's unable to be saved because of the trauma she's been through has made her a cruel person. Even though her mother says, I only pick the bad men to punish. Right. And that's like what makes Iris such an interesting character is that moment when Iris finds out about this stuff and her reaction is, oh my God, are you okay? Mm-hmm. That's, I think, the thing because that, that you're right, that would not be my reaction. And, and it's, it's seems like it wouldn't be your reaction. You'd be like, oh my God. I, <laughs> I'd be like, okay. Sounds yeah. good. Right. Um, I've just got to like go to the bathroom. Right. right. All of a sudden, that, then yeah, it becomes your trauma. Like this is your traumatic experience. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I just found out my girlfriend chops off fingers. Like, that's the thing. That's gotta... the... Can you believe this is happening to me? I just found out about this. <laughs> exactly. What if I end up with mitten hands? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what makes Iris special. I have full empathy for her trauma, but I do think there's a point, like. When is it early enough to save someone where they can be put on the right path? And we're given the suggestion that Nora is after her events, but her mother, there was a turning point where her own mother manipulated her so far that she couldn't see the line anymore, even though she was trying to do the Dexter thing and only punish the bad men because she was willing to sacrifice her daughter to punish the bad men. Yeah. So I I don't know much about D&D, but there is some sort of alignment chart. And I feel like Lee can be categorized as lawful good. Like she has through whatever it is that she went through become associated with the law and also she's got this like duty ethics where she has made her life pretty simple like protect Nora do these things and so I think she's come out of it by just giving herself some very clear rules and some very clear North Stars and so like North Star protect Nora North Star anybody associated with her mother is bad news she just follows these things and has become this like lawful force in the world it's interesting because i'm looking at the dnd alignment chart and i think that there's a lot of cases where lee is definitely lawful good but i also see a lot of chaotic good in both her and in nora where it's like Lee is following the letter of the law until it doesn't benefit her Mm. And then she is like, well, then I'm just going to seduce an FBI agent or I'm just going to run into a building that's on fire. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what you're saying is 100% true. And I guess what I'm thinking is like she's given herself a law, like the law like comes from her and that law she doesn't violate. Totally. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, having seen her mother just like change people and change what she valued and change the things. And so she sort of has gone the other way and like flipped a switch where her mother's code was all over the place and was never you could never pin it down because it changed depending on who the mark was. And so she just has like made her life stable of just, I've got this internal law, it's this duty ethics thing, and she just does it. Versus I think Nora is still figuring out her North Stars. 
Because she's mostly just like at this point a survivor. She's like, who I am is a survivor. Yes. And at the end of the book, she's figuring it out. I think this book set itself up really well for a sequel. Because I think the characters are really strong and you're left, like, I want to see Lee do more things. So I think you're just left wanting to see them be competent in other situations. Yeah. <sighs> I'm just thinking a lot right now about, like, survive versus thrive, which I feel like comes up a lot just in general, but, like, also in therapy and stuff. And, again, this comes up in Marvel's Age of Shield, <laughs> where Ward calls himself a survivor. And then also, which I was previously rewatching, The Vampire Diaries, where Catherine Pierce, who's like the evil vampire version of the main character, Elena, calls herself a survivor. And both Ward and Catherine are evil characters. And so both of them have gone so far into survival that they can never go to thrive. I mean, we didn't give a spoiler alert for Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Ward (laughs) Ward is actually evil. (laughs) Oh, shit. Okay, well... I hope that nobody's going to watch it. Watch Marvel's Angel's Shield. Oh, that's good. Anyways, so survive. And I think that, like, Nora talks about that, too. She's like, she's a survivor. Have you read Graceling? No, I've never read Graceling. So it's a YA fantasy book about a world with, like, people have special gifts. And the main character, Katza, she thinks her secret gift is killing. Like, she's just really good at killing. <laughs> and it turns out her gift is actually surviving. Oh. Um, and so it's, that's, like, the big twist at the end. The fine line between killing and surviving is very easy to cross. And I think that's what we see in Nora. Not dissimilar to a deadly education. Exactly. Hashtag self-promo. It's all coming together. No, that's a really good point. And I think like part of what The Girls I've Been is, is her transitioning from survivor to thriver. Like that's, that's sort of the arc she's on where she identifies as survivor and that's why she keeps things from people and is just trying to keep her head down, not have many friends, just with a very small group of people that she trusts. But by the end, it seems like she's ready to start choosing how she's going to be successful. And I think Iris is a mentor for her there, where Iris is, you know, in charge of that fundraiser and, like, wants to do things in the world and participate in the world. You get the sense that this is the the arc that Nora's on, that she's going to try now to start participating in things similar to, to Iris. Yeah, there is something about in your found family being able to actually start thriving. The other piece of media I've been consuming as of late is Turning Red, the new Pixar movie. Part of it, it's like a puberty metaphor. The main character, May, has like all these big feelings that turn her into this giant red panda. And the only time that she is not having feelings that are so big that she can't control them and turn into a panda is when her friends are around or she remembers her friends. I feel like that's pretty on the nose, but also beautiful metaphor of like the reason that Nora will be able to get to thrive and her mother couldn't. The reason that Ward couldn't, the reason that Catherine Pierce couldn't is because she does create this found family and they are there for her no matter what. She can cut off anybody's fingers and her girlfriend will just be like, fuck yeah, let's build a bomb and destroy their body. Yeah. Or say, but how are you? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, both. I think she'll do both. Yeah. yeah, She'll definitely help bury the body and ask her how she is. Yes. Yeah. This is why Iris is perfect. Yeah. No, Iris is another example of that, that perfect partner 
thing that we've been identifying in all these mm-hmm. YA books where it's like, oh, this is the way that you're supposed to react. Like, it's just a model of the way one is supposed to be when confronted with a partner that is going through these kinds of issues. Well, I think that's like the hard thing with both Wes and Iris is that they don't have a lot of negative traits. Yeah. They're just like endlessly supportive. Yeah. Even when they like have less desirable traits like Wes is like angry at Nora they're for completely normal reasons yeah. <laughs> like you lied to me and blackmailed my father without talking to me right. <laughs> like oh even McDreamy like had a secret wife you know I was waiting for Iris to like also have a secret yeah that was going to like blow everything out of the water and it turns out we already knew this she really likes fire yeah yeah. And so she's good at it. Like, I wanted it to be a bigger secret. Yeah. And there was the one scene where Nora's concerned that Iris is going to leave her because of the fact that she'd been lying or whatever. And I think, like, as a reader, this is another one of those times where it was just, like, very clear that wasn't going to happen. And so when Iris is like, but I, I still love you, it wasn't surprising. It's another one of those, like, in Spin the Dawn where she is like, oh, my God, he's so annoying. I hate him. But, like, it's, we know <laughs> we know where this is going. We know what book we're in. Well, this is why I also thought that maybe at some point, like, Wes, as, like, the ex, was going to like abandon her a little bit and show like there are two reactions that you would have to finding out your girlfriend cuts off people's fingers. But no, everyone just like wants to take a nap while hugging each other. It's it's kind of nice. Like maybe we just all want to have that support no matter how many fingers we cut off. Okay, so I was wondering if we wanted to do our IB question literary analysis section again. Yes. In this section, we take an IB question that's been on previous exams, and instead of being stressed about answering it, we have fun answering it because we've chosen to go into this and do literary analysis for fun. It is fun. Yes. Okay, so I have a question um, pulled from one of the previous exams I think we could answer with this one. It is, where other people exist... Genuine individuality is never possible. To what extent does this statement reflect the experiences of the central characters and the problems encountered by them in a work of fiction that you have read? Well, in a work of fiction that I've read, which is this book, yes, The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp, obviously there's parts of the book that we have experienced with her mother indoctrinating who she is. She has no original persona or individuality for the first 12 years of her life because her mother is telling her who she is. Even if she at some point is Natalie, Natalie means nothing. Natalie has no personality, which means she's also not an individual. And then all the other personas have like those three adjectives she just needs to remember and then remember how to keep her hair. And then even at the end when she chooses to be Nora, she's like, I'm choosing to be Nora in the same way that my sister has chosen to be Lee. I'd rather blackmail my ex-stepfather in order to maintain this cover Because it is worth it to me to keep Nora and Lee as our identities and not have to change again. I think there's something interesting in her found family of like that very classic statement where it's like, you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Mm -hmm. And when all you're hanging out with is evil men with their evil sons and your evil mom, you're like, not a great person. (laughs) Yeah. Even though it's like not your fault because of the trauma that they're embedding into you and you're a child who should not be put through this. And now that she's like on the cusp of adulthood, she's surrounding herself by three people who unconditionally love her. And I feel like who she wants to be is the average of those three people. She wants to be the average of Lee and Iris and Wes. And she wants to keep this as who she is and who she wants to be. Right. So she's pursuing individuality 
through other people for doing a to what extent essay we would say to the extent that you can choose who you surround yourself with and in that case you are experiencing genuine individuality through those choices I think an interesting case study for this would be Lee because I feel like Lee has done this to to like a stronger degree than Nora does where she has left the game like left other people essentially chosen her own name and then chosen her own ethical code and is now pursuing individuality like that but she still participates in the social world like she still has her job she still goes to free her half-sister and so she's participating in the social world but has chosen a fully individual path an individual path that she chose However, that path is the result of past trauma and like the, the ways in which she's built this code and found these North Stars for herself is largely a product of the trauma that she encountered when she was younger. So it's, it is a good to what extent case study. And even those things, like at the very end when Lee asks Nora, like basically like, is our cover blown? Do we need to go and run and get new documents and become different people? Both of them, well, I guess not Nora, because Nora's like, we're staying put. Like, I found my family. Lee has created all of this for herself, but she is willing to give it up. Ultimately, like, that individuality, even though they are creating it from scratch with the found family around them, ultimately, exactly what you're saying, it's like the core of your individual is from your childhood trauma. Yeah, like, she can choose Nora as, as a person. She can choose to be Nora, and she can choose what qualities Nora has, in the same way that she chose the name and become an individual, like pursue an authentic self. But the previous girls she's been are why she's making the decisions. And those those previous girls she's been are the result of, you know, social coercion and so on. Like individuality can be pursued, but it's always within the context of other people. Right. And in the same way with her mother is like, every bully needs a bully early on being, her motivations being in other people and becoming what they want and what they need. Versus something that's like an individual. Even if you have a strong sense of a North Star, I mean, it's really hard to have a strong sense of a North Star. It's easy to fall into that bucket. Yeah. And Lee is the only character that like fully seems like she's figured that out. Yeah. I wonder if the mother's an interesting case study in this too. Because the mother, I don't know if this is an interesting path to go down. But like, could you do a body paragraph on the mother? The mother's looking for found family too. Ultimately, what we are all seeking, good or bad, is for someone to love us unconditionally. And Nora is lucky that that person is Iris and Wes and Lee. But like exactly what you're saying. Like she's like, I cut off my ex-father's fingers. And Iris is like, oh my God, are you okay? Like that's the action we all want. We don't want to be like someone to react negatively. And the same thing with Nora's mom, Abby, is she was delighted that Raymond realized she was a grifter. Yeah. Because for the first time she was being seen for not the cover, but who she actually was. Yeah, that's actually something that I was missing. I think I didn't realize why the mother flipped like that and all of a sudden fell in love with the mark. And you're right. It's because for the first time, she was seen for the authentic grifter that she is and not for the cover. And then couldn't let that go even with all the abuse she took. Right. And if you're lucky, the person who loves you unconditionally is a good person, like is Iris. And if you're unlucky... It's Raymond. Yeah. All right, yeah, she could be a good case study too then. All right, that's that's three body paragraphs. 
also like her her mother clearly did this exact same thing to her and it's hard to be the link that breaks an intergenerational trauma so more power to lee and nora there too yeah that's solid that's a solid three body paragraphs good thesis about to what extent like you, you can still make choices within the social world but there's going to be that coercion Great. Crushed it. Crushed it. I'm an international baccalaureate now. No, whatever the top score is, I think we could get it. <laughs> <laughs> is it a five? Is it like AP tests? It's, it's higher than that. Higher? Yeah. Is it like the LSAT? It's 180. It's a seven. Seven. Yeah, oh, so yeah. it's Curveball. higher. You didn't see that coming. Woo. Yeah. I was like, is it going to be like a nine, like a DBQ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like an IELTS? No. Seven. Yeah. Oh, wow. Every day you learn something new. Yeah. So what do you want to read next? Oh, man. I feel like if we're going to be reading something that has like a love arc, I want to see it like fully baked. Like, I don't want it to just be like, oh, we love each other unconditionally, but there isn't actually a lot of making out. <laughs> like, we, we're going to make out once in the bathroom while you empty your menstrual cup. That's not what I'm looking for in my romance. Yeah. So you're looking for something that blows up on TikTok because of the intimate love stuff. There needs to be at least two makeouts. Well, I've been cruising book talk. Yes. And, uh, and I think I got one for us. Great. Hit me. It's called The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. Ooh. It's like scientific. <laughs> yes, apparently it's about a third-year PhD candidate in a lab. Love. And it's blowing up on the book talk. Well, excellent. I have a lot of feelings on PhD programs. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of opinions, apparently, on love triangles and general romantic stories. So I am on board. Apparently, this book is good if you've got opinions on professors dating PhD candidates. Downvote. And fake relationships. Upvote. <laughs> Upvote, Jesus. Okay, so we're, we're looking at the middle right now. So we'll see which way I land after reading those two themes, which I feel strongly about on both sides. Okay, great. Hey guys, it's Melissa from the future. When we decided to pick the love hypothesis and I wanted makeouts, I didn't realize exactly how NC-17 these makeouts might get in the book. Just a warning that there's gonna be some steamy scenes that may not be appropriate for younger audiences. You should be able to skip them, but wanted to let you know, just in case, this isn't the book for you. This has been Literary Connections, hosted by me, James Earl, and Melissa Hansen, and we are produced by Kimberly Johnson. You can follow us on Twitter at lit underscore connections. Join us next month when we'll be reading The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. The description on Goodreads that I'm looking at right now has the word Bunsen burner. So I'm pretty Ooh. sure this is going to be really good. I'll Bunsen your burner. Wait, what's <laughs> Bunsen burner her? I hardly know her. Wait, I need to work on this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nine of those were good. Get the jokes ready for next time. <laughs>